So this is kind of an interesting time of the year, right? Because we don't really sort of fully step back into our teaching series on John. We just finished Christmas and we're in this kind of weird Sunday where nobody really comes anyway. And so it's like, you know, should we have gone? It's kind of cold and, you know, it's kind of a hot, you know, whatever. We're all here. And so we're kind of going, what do we do on this one Sunday? Do we just kind of talk about whatever God's doing or how does that play out? And so this has been a really interesting week um, for me. It's been a very complicated week, actually, for me. Um, emotionally and otherwise, there's just been a lot of things that have unfolded that have sort of teetered with my sensibilities, if you will. Um, about a week ago, Keith Bingham's mom, uh, who you may know Barbara and Keith Bingham, his, her mom, his mom passed away. Uh, she was living up here with them and was at a, a retirement home in North Edmond, and she had lived 95 amazing years, and they had brought her up here from Houston, and family was all gathered around and I was there with them and and part of uh of that sort of emotional struggle of celebrating life yet letting her go as she went to be with Jesus and we gathered around them and they're actually in Hobbs right now at that memorial and they'll be we'll be having a memorial for her here actually on the 19th of January for any of those that want to love and support the Binghams walking with them through that and their family and being a part of that whole process of course and then as as our church family knows uh L.J. Scott went to be with Jesus this past Wednesday. He had had a battle with cancer and uh, finally won victoriously and is in the presence of, of Jesus. And that emotion of, for me personally, of not just being a spectator, just kind of watching from afar, not being able to actually get back in time, yet loving one of my dearest friends in the world, uh, go through the struggle of losing her father, brings back so much of my own struggles as well, right? I mean, I remember my own dad's death and what that was like and knowing Brandon was going to be teaching and preaching at his dad's memorial service, those sort of emotions of watching the faithful servant celebrate glory, yet our earthly sort of hurt being extremely real, right? Going, man, I long for and miss those kind of emotions. And then you have Christmas, of course, which is, you know, on paper is this sort of beautiful thing, right? Like we love it and it's all perfect, but the reality is that family's complicated. Um, it doesn't always look like it does in the commercials. Kids fight and cry and, you know, things are not always that easy and you realize all the sort of things that happen in your own family. They, they kind of come out, of course, when everybody's gathered together. And then we have some dear friends that are, are splitting up. Their marriage is, is falling apart. They're not from here. Their friends back in Texas. Their marriage is falling up. They're, they're calling. And, and I'm dealing with all of these pieces, right, like all of us do all the time. My life is absolutely no different than, than yours. But as I'm dealing with these sort of complex sort of sets of emotions and I'm trying to figure out where do you file a lot of things, there's a lot of things I don't have a place to file. Where do you file the paradox between celebrating someone's life who has faithfully loved Jesus and are now in glory yet missing them so much? Wishing so desperately that I could have my own father back to ask some advice at a time in my life where I really don't know who to turn to. The complications of trying to balance those things. And one of the words the Lord kept bringing into my heart this week as I was kind of coming back, and we had done this little tour of Texas. We had driven to Lubbock to see my wife's family and then driven down to Austin to see my family and then driving back up here in this little sort of triangle of Texas glory. We were driving through all there. And one of the words the Lord kept pressing on my heart was perspective. Perspective is a really interesting word because it means a lot of different things. It can mean a, sort of a, a looking out at a, at a sort of a scape of view, a, a, something beautiful, 
It can mean kind of how we see things, you know, the way that we put things in, in context to each other. It also has meanings in architecture. My mom's husband reminded me that it actually has its roots in mathematics for some reason. That's what it reminded me. He's a genius. He's uh, head of the physics department University of Texas, double PhD. He's like, you know, perspective is in mathematics. I was like, oh. He's kind of, I love him, right? He leaves equations on post-it notes, like on the refrigerator, like anybody can just solve those, you know? He studies light particles, photons, for fun. It's like a side project. Uh, we don't talk much, right? He, uh, he says things, and I'm like, the grass is green. And he's like, do you know why? I'm like, ah, Isaac. Um, no, he's, he, made, he reminded me, you know, perspective is really a mathematics term. The, the whole the word just means this, it's got this incredible kind of scope of meanings. But what it always means is it always means something's right relationship to another thing. So in its, in its context, no matter what it is, whether it's math or architecture or whether it's just the way that we think about politics or life and death, perspective is, is something's right relationship to something else. And we all have perspective, right? We have a perspective when it comes to good and evil. We have a perspective when it comes to how we see our own struggles. We have a perspective when it comes to how we see life and death. The Bible's actually really clear about this, that there are two very distinct, different perspectives in which we can see things. The Bible tells us that there is this sort of worldly, temporal perspective, and there, there is this eternal perspective. And those things have very different pictures of how they play out. But they both involve how we see things in terms of the relationship to each other. And as I was kind of going through this week and I was thinking through these sort of complex emotions that I was having, much less what everybody else is having, the Lord kept reminding me about perspective. And I feel like 2018 is a year that I, on many levels, have lost a lot of perspective from an eternal point of view. That I've seen everything that's relationship to how it functions in its temporal side, how it affects me how I see it, my fears, my failures, my struggles with it, my, my relationship with it in terms of what I understand, a very temporal picture. And what God is pressing into my heart is that I need a renewed perspective to take the things that I am, I am looking at from a temporal worldly, how they affect me and my relationship to them, to being able to see them through an eternal perspective, which is through the lens of the gospel, the lens of how God sees things. Because the call of a follower of Christ is actually to see the world with an eternal perspective. Because when we surrender our life to Jesus, he not only changes us into new creations, he gives us an entirely different way of seeing the world. And it's a way the world does not understand. It's completely wholly other. And so this morning, I want to look at a few verses because I think it's a perfect time for us to say, how do I want to see my life, my struggles, and the world moving forward, maybe 2019? How do I need to change how I framed my own life and my perspective to actually see things the way that the Lord sees them? It's a great call, call a follower of Christ to begin to look at the world through an eternal set of eyes. And when you do that, it literally changes everything. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at just a few verses because I want to show you how an eternal perspective should change, well, pretty much everything, but how it will change the way that we see our own lives, how it will change the way we see our struggles, and how it will change the way that we see the world. And I want to challenge you to step into a new year with a renewed perspective. So if you got that, let's go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm going to pray, 
And then we're just going to look at a few verses this morning and see what we can pull out. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning for the folks that have been here for years and for those folks that are here for the very first time, Lord, that every single one of us comes with some version of a perspective. We rolled into this room this morning with a perspective, a lens in which we see the world, a relationship in which we see things, how they connect or don't connect to each other. Lord, for a lot of us, our perspective has been very worldly, been, been riddled with fears. It's been very temporary. It's had a lot of anxiety in it. It's had a lot of worry in it. God, for others of us, it's been a beautiful picture. We've been able to see the right relationship that death has or the right relationship that, that fear has compared to your glory. But God, personally for me, I've been wrapped tightly in a perspective that just goes circling around me. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that what we would do as we open your word is that you would teach us and you would renew our perspective. The 2019 and moving forward would be a year that we surrender our worldly temporal perspective and we allow you to give us an eternal perspective. To see the world, to see our lives, to see our struggles through the lens of your glory. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you something this morning. And these simple verses that he would just teach your heart something simple and true. Lord, we turn our time over to you this morning. We ask that you would be exalted and lifted up and that you would teach us through your word. An encounter with your word is an encounter with you. We don't take it lightly, Lord. This is truth. And we ask you to teach our hearts. In the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So let me give you a quick reminder just of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. This is actually the second letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, the church in Corinth was, <clears throat> how do you put it nicely? They were a white hot dumpster fire. I mean, they were a mess, and they were infighting, and they were struggling, and they were battling, and there was outside influences, and they were being pressured to do things that even they knew weren't right, and they were fighting with each other, and Paul's first letter to the Corinth was like, you guys have lost your minds. You're divided. You're split. He's writing to them, telling them, quit listening to the lies of the world, and remember what I taught you about the person of Jesus Christ. Well, the second letter is a little bit more of an instruction. It's saying, listen, I need you to take these things and remember them and, and actually live them. The things that we have talked about, the gospel truths, you have heard them, but they are not taking effect in your life. And he's writing that letter to say, begin to actually live what you believe, right? And so the church in Corinth, like a lot of the early churches, was not a perfect picture. It was a picture of people that were broken that were learning how to do this together, that were afraid, and that truthfully were facing death. Every day that those believers woke up in Corinth was a day that they knew they might lose their life for following Christ. It was a hostile place and a hostile world. For believers, it was a day where you recognized that today was a day I could be arrested, I could be beaten, I could be killed, all for my professing faith in Jesus Christ. Paul knew it and they knew it. And it was their reality. And Paul's saying, in light of those truths, there is a glory that waits for you, all right? 
There is something that I want you to understand that even though you are walking through these troubles and these struggles, there is something that is amazing that I want you to hold on to. And he's going to share a few verses in chapter 4 about how to see the world differently in light of all of those circumstances. And you can't understand these letters to Corinth without understanding those circumstances. These, these are not written in a vacuum. They're not verses about, hey, just hope life gets a little better. They are verses about the fact that they are facing struggles that are real. That in comparison, minds seem like mere inconveniences. Let's take a look at chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit together. So Paul says, look, therefore, chapter 4, verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is unseen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So these are pretty famous verses. They're verses you've probably heard. They're verses that get pulled out of Paul's letter all the time to remind us that even when our, our struggles in this world are happening, they are, they are merely temporary, right? That there is something bigger and better that's waiting for us. And that is incredibly true. But when you look at this thing in its actual real context, it shines this really powerful picture, this light, if you will, on this idea of perspective, on how we see the world. Because we are called as followers of Christ to have an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective is to see things in their relationship to eternity. And the relationship to the gospel, to the God who is everlasting. How that everlasting creator God who loved you enough to send his son Jesus sees these things. And so Paul starts in the middle of this sort of section by saying, look, I want you to remember something, church, that is facing death every single day. I want you to understand how you see your own life. And he says this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. So I don't know if you've come to full grips with sort of your kind of reality that this life is full of a process where this body is a constant state of getting closer to death. It's not a real cheery thing to talk about, but the reality is that it's true. Every day we draw breath is a day that our body, right, is moving towards a state of slowly wasting away. Now, for those of you that are firmly planted in your youth, maybe you're 20, 18, 22, 24, 28, whatever that sort of age range is, you're good. You don't feel it. This week, I got down on the floor to play Sorry, the game with my nieces. I almost couldn't get up, right? I'm holding things so far away now to read them that I almost have to have somebody else hold them, right? I threw my back out loading the dishwasher four weeks ago, literally spent the day in bed bending down to put a plate in there, not even washing the dishes. All of us are coming at times to the reality that the truth is our bodies, they're slowly wasting away. Now, it's, it's, it's not something we like to talk about, of course, but it doesn't make it less true. What Paul and the church in Corinth were facing was the very, very real reality that life didn't have an expectancy of hitting 80, 76. In those days, 45 was about the average life expectancy of someone 2,000 years ago. And taking into account that your body was 
living in a place where there was no modern medicine, right? All those kind of pieces, food and water issues, not to mention the fact that you were facing real persecution, abuse and beatings and all those things. The reality was is that outwardly there were, they were wasting away. They were living in a place where they knew when they woke up and drew breath that day, it may be the last day they drew breath for a bunch of different reasons. And Paul says, but therefore, look, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. He says, why? Because yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now, the fascinating thing about this to me is this is the great paradox of the Christian life. The great paradox of the Christian life is this, that as we draw closer to death as followers of Christ, God is actually, as we are on this decline, if you, if, you, as you, if you will, God is actually renewing and growing and strengthening and maturing our hearts to a place of glory. The paradox of the Christian life is wrapped up in the idea of sanctification. If you've heard, if you've been here any time before, you've heard me talk about it. Sanctification is a process of being made holy. It is a process of the Holy Spirit moving and working in your life, drawing you into maturity of Christ every single day of your life as you draw closer to death as a follower of Christ. So what that means is as our earthly bodies are on this steadily decline downwards toward, toward actual death, not being able to do the things we once did, they are declining. God is renewing our spirit and our purpose and our mission and our maturity to be more like him. Sanctification is the opposite, right, of slowly fading. And it's the incredible paradox of the Christian life that as our bodies give way, God gives rise to our soul. That we're in the constant process of maturing and growing in Christ. And it's certainly something that we saw and that I saw as I visited with some of these families this week that are going through really deep struggles, watching faithful Servants of Christ live out their last days. Listen to Barbara and Keith talk about his mom, Dottie, and her faithful heart for the Lord. 95 years faithfully loving the Lord. Watching her slowly fade to glory, literally. Get the maturity and wisdom that she had as a follower of Christ. Listening to Brandon tell stories about his dad. One that just happened this past week where they gathered at his side and they all sung some hymns together and he basically looks at everybody from his wheelchair and says this may be the last time you see me in this earthly body and he raises his fist and goes hallelujah are you kidding me you see the process of 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 though our outward bodies are falling apart god is raising us to something incredible and an eternal perspective changes the way that we see our own lives we don't go out going, life is, is, is awful and terrible and I'm getting older and it's, you know, I don't know what to do. We get to say God is growing me and maturing me. We get to look at our aging friends, our families, or those that are dealing with diagnosis and struggle and hurt and not say, this is the end. An eternal perspective is able to say, this is the beginning. Although my heart is shattered from the earthly emotions that I have, it's the beginning of what we were created to be. That in Christ, and I surrender my life to Jesus, life has yet to fully begin. See, an eternal perspective changes the way that we see our own lives. I'm not living in constant fear of what's to come. I'm living in the joy that I'm drawing breath today and there's a promise of tomorrow. 
And that's what Paul's reminding these folks is like, look, yeah, you could look at today and be like, man, today is crappy. We could all die. Yeah, that's true. Or today could be the day that we fully live. Fully live. An eternal perspective changes the way that you see our own life. Paul goes on to remind us an eternal perspective changes the way that we see our struggles. Listen to this, verse 14. Because, or actually let's do verse uh, 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Listen to how Paul frames his struggles. For our light and momentary troubles. Now, I don't want to make light of your struggles, and I certainly don't want to make light of mine, because I believe that mine are very real, and I believe that your struggles and troubles are very real. But in comparison to what Paul was calling struggles and troubles, mine are mere inconveniences. Now, those of you who've been with us in the book of Acts, you remember the things that Paul faced, right? Abuse, abandonment, death, hunger, shipwrecks, snake bites. I could go on and on. Paul's entire life framed in a context of struggles makes mine look like this sort of floating on cloud rainbow thing because my struggles seem to be mere inconveniences. I've never once faced hunger to the point of death. I've never been abandoned to the point of being left in prison for three years or beaten so many times I nearly died. I've never been shipwrecked or bit by snakes. I've never been abandoned by the people I love, right? Paul says... And he's telling this to the entire body, our light and momentary troubles. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't see my troubles and struggles in terms of light and momentary. I see them in terms of suffocating. I see them in terms of debilitating. I see them in terms of, God, why won't you take this from me? Or, God, where are you in the middle of all this? Why does this feel like more than I can handle? I see my struggles, not in an eternal perspective that says, these are just merely light and momentary. I see them in terms of woe is me. Because I've got this temporal, worldly picture. And a temporal, worldly picture sees struggles as overwhelming. Overwhelming. And of course, we know the truth is that they're not, but we see them that way. And Paul says, listen, church, these are light and and momentary troubles. In other words, they have their season. The truth is that I don't want to make a lot of the things you're struggling with or the things I'm struggling with, but they're not forever struggles. They have seasons. The things that you're doing battle with, I promise you, 98% of the time will never be as awful as you think they will be. That thing you think might happen, 98% of the time won't ever come to be but we allow the pressure of a temporal worldview to so weigh our heart down that it becomes all we know, all we breathe. It becomes consuming and it's suffocating because it's a worldly temporal worldview. But Paul says, listen, what I want you to understand in light of this eternal perspective is that these are light and momentary. And you want to know why they're light and momentary? Not because they're not real. Not because your troubles aren't real troubles. They are hurts and they are painful and they are hard. But they're light and momentary because they are achieving for us a glory which outweighs them all. There is a glory that waits for you in the presence of Jesus. That in comparison to the most difficult struggle you will ever have on earth, 
will be a shadow of a shadow of a shadow. And Paul says an eternal perspective anticipates the glory to come. It doesn't mean that my struggles aren't real. It doesn't mean I ignore them, but what it means is that I can anticipate that there is something better. That there will be a day where there is no more pain or sorrow or tears. Right? It anticipates the day when we'll be raised with Christ and there will be joy and overwhelming gladness. Will there be no more wars? and no more hunger, and no more trafficking, and no more slavery, and no more pain. Paul says, the earth is full of light and momentary troubles. One of the great challenges in the Christian life is to begin to see our troubles in their proper perspective. In the scope of things, Lord, how much weight am I giving this? How much of my soul have I given over to this worry, to this anxiety, to this fear? Paul says they're light and momentary. And what they are doing as we walk through these struggles is they are achieving for us a glory. As we walk with Christ, we are waiting for glory. And then finally, Paul says this. He says, so, verse 18, so, in, in other words, because of all that, Right? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. So Paul says in light of all that, right? In light of the fact that having eternal perspective should change the way that you see your life, should change the way that you see your troubles, it should also change the way that we see the world. And I love the way the NIV actually translates that, that word Scopeo, which is the Greek word there where he uses to fix our eyes, right? So it's a form of the word scopeo. A lot of translations will say, so we look to what is unseen. But the word actually means we adhere our attention to. So we adhere our attention, our sight, our bodies, our feelings, our thoughts to what is unseen. That word fix means to adhere my heart and my life, and my thoughts to what is unseen. And of course, the great juxtaposition here, right, is the unseen is the promises that God has for us. The seen, right, is the anxiety and the temporal and the things that are right in front of my face, the balance of my checkbook, the reality of my job or the frustrations of this or the brokenness of relationships. I can adhere and fix my eyes to what is seen and that can be my worldview. It can be my perspective. I can be swallowed in those things which Paul calls light and momentary. It does not mean that they aren't real and I don't have to deal with them. But when I adhere my gaze, my soul, my heart to them, my perspective is engulfed in the temporary and I am swallowed in anxiety. I am swallowed in worry. I am swallowed in the world. And the things that matter to the Lord, well, they don't matter to me because I am adhered to these things. But when I fix my eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, when I hear my life and my soul, I don't ignore these things if they don't exist. I have to deal with those realities. But when I adhere my soul to the truths of the gospel, that God will never leave me nor forsake me, that he calls me beloved, 
that he promises to clothe the lilies of the field. That he commands me not to worry in Matthew chapter 6 about tomorrow what it will bring. But that he will provide and that he will care. That he will never abandon. If I adhere my soul to the promises of the gospel, right? Fixing my eyes, my life, my soul on things that are unseen, the things of God, the promises that are made clear in Scripture, right? I fix my eyes on those things. They are eternal. In other words, what Paul's saying is they last. Every single one of these things, as my buddy in Samaria say, will burn. They'll burn. They are not going to last. An eternal perspective says, the things that matter to God, I want to matter to me. I'm not wasting my few breaths, the whisper of a life that I have here on earth anymore with this garbage and lies. I'm not giving it the due. I'm giving this what matters. And understand what I'm saying is not to ignore that and go, hey, you know, we don't have any money, I don't worry about it, I'll just keep spending money. No, I'm saying don't give it, right, what it wants, which is your soul and your life and your joy. You got to deal with them. Struggles are real. But they're light and they're momentary and they have their season. And you are not guaranteed another single day on this earth. There is no promise that tomorrow comes. There's no promise what happens when you pull out of this parking lot. You have a choice on how you are going to live out those moments with this eternal perspective, right? Saying, these things are light and momentary. They will not drive me, consume me, or own me. They don't get to dictate my joy. They don't get to dictate my breath. I will fight them and deal with them and live with them but they are light and momentary compared to what is happening on the eternal side of my life. The fact that I'm not going to get all that many more days with my kids, with my family, that I'm not going to get another tomorrow to decide how I want to impact the world around me, how I want to love my neighbor or care for people or make change. An eternal perspective says the things that matter to the Lord, I want to matter to me. I don't know what your 2018 was like, but maybe 2019 can begin with a renewed perspective. God, I want to see the world the way that you see it. I want to draw life, and I want to wait in great anticipation for glory. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to open your word. Lord, I thank you for the life of Dottie Bingham of L.J. Scott. I thank you for faithful men and women in our lives. Not perfect men and women, just faithful. I thank you, Lord, that they stand in the presence of Jesus. They surrendered their life to you and they are in the presence of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for all the lives that they represent. For those of us in here that have lost parents, children or people that we love I thank you Lord that this world is not the end that when we draw our last breath that's not it what an incredible hope filled life I thank you Lord that 
you give us a way to see the world differently. That if we had to see the world just as a sort of temporal way of living, Lord, what a, what a pressure-packed nightmare it would be if we live without the hope of Christ. What would there be to long for, to wait for, to stand in, to gaze upon? Lord, the hope of Christ is, it's what we live for. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for an eternal perspective, for us as individuals, for us as a church, that the things that matter to you would matter to us, that it would change the way that we see our lives, our struggles, and even the world. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God, we fix our eyes upon you. As we stand together and we close our time in worship, ask the Lord to renew your perspective in Jesus' name.